If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in your glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen holy ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I appreciate our Radiant family in so many different ways. And we'll be sharing some stories about what's going on, but it's just awesome for us working together, whether it's putting things together like sound and slides or reading scripture, singing music, or simply just by you being here and being family with one another. It's, it's a wonderful thing to be able to do that. And family is the very topic that we are going to be talking about today. With that, uh, let's start off with a word of prayer. God in heaven, help us to take seriously your words today. God, open our ears, open our eyes to be able to see your truths. Help us to lay aside any distractions that are in our hearts. Help us to recognize when we see them and just with humility um, acknowledge what things are distracting us from looking to you right now. And God, help us just to cling with everything we've got to your word of truth. Thank you that we have your scripture um, in our world today, that we can be confident in what you are doing, that we are a resurrected family uh, here to bring resurrection life uh, into this city, into this world. And so Jesus, um, would you speak to us today and help us to listen all together. Thank you. And it's your name we pray, amen. I want to encourage you as we go into the word that When a sermon is being preached, any time that you're in a Sunday gathering, whether you're the one speaking or you're the one sitting and listening, we're doing this together as a family. Your listening to God's word is as critical as mine being able to lead you through it here. So as you're sitting there, join me as we go together. Join me as a family as we go to God's word. We're in the middle of a sermon series titled, 
Why church? And we're taking our identity statement that we are a family of missionary servants sent to be and make disciples to make disciples. We're taking that statement and we're going to scripture, holding it up like a mirror and asking ourselves, are we doing this? Are we living and being the church that God has called us to be? And our hope and desire as a church is to do church on God's terms and not on our own terms. I was talking with my wife this morning and what has been refreshing about this series for me, like of any people here, I have gone over these topics like so many times, whether I've been in your spot listening to someone else preaching about them or I've been preaching them myself. But what's different this time in going through it is it's not so much about gaining new information. Like I'm not gonna wow you with some one-liner that will like stick in your mind forever. But I think what God is desiring for us as a body is to kind of crack open the layers of our heart with information that we might be familiar with to really let it guide us and really be like that mirror and ask ourselves, man, are we actually being this way? Are we actually doing what we say that we're going to do? So our hope as elders, as we continue through this series, is we hope that you're encouraged to keep being faithful, to persevere for God's vision for us as his church, as Radiant. That it leads us to repentance, to turn away from maybe wrong ideas, wrong actions, wrong views that we've had of his church, and that we come in line with God's vision. That it would give us hope that Jesus truly has the better way for us to operate as a people. So, so far, we've asked a couple of questions. First, we just started off with the big one. Why church? Just looking across from a 50,000-foot view of the metaphors and the images that God has given us to show us the purposes he created for us, to show us who we are ever since the beginning as his people. And then we asked the question, why gospel-centered? Why does everything that we do, whether from our small groups and gospel communities to gathering at 4 p.m. on a Sunday to living life 24-7, why is that all hinged on the gospel message, this message about who Jesus is and what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do in our life? These first two sermons give us the base of why we do church. And now we're actually going to be stepping into those key words that we have in our identity statement, and we're going to go a little deeper. So this week, we're asking the question, why family? Why are we family? Again, this may be a term that you have heard plenty of times. I would say out of the last two decades, if you've been in the church for that time, this has been one of the most popular words used within church. You've probably heard it in different services. If you've been at Radiant, you've heard it a ton. I already know that. But I believe it's something that, 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 that was across um, a lot of churches during this time. Much like when COVID-19 occurred, you started seeing that phrase pop up that was like, hey, the church is not about a building, it's about a people. And you just start, it was used by so many people. And that's a good term, isn't it, right? Just like being a family is a good term. But do we really believe it? That's the question. Do we really believe it? I was talking to a, a close friend of mine several years ago, and I don't remember how we got on the topic, but the idea of like family and church was something we were going back and forth about. And I remember that it was kind of like this, yeah, right, like, yeah, people say it, but we're not really family like, like family is. Not like your blood relationship. It's just not a reality. Is that true? 
I mean, think about it. Luke 8, 19 through 21. Story about Jesus. It says, Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, Your mother and brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Church can just become a group of people that we're lightly associated with rather than what we're called to be. We are called to be a resurrected community. We are called to be a resurrected family. And I've set it up here multiple times that we're family by blood. We're family by the blood of Jesus that runs thicker and deeper than any other blood that you can claim for a family relationship. In Colossians, we see Paul writing to a church that's under pressure. Their identity, their ability to live out being family is under attack by a couple of different forces that are going out. One is from a a religious community, Orthodox Judaism, that is trying to pull them away from looking to Christ as their Savior. That They need to act and be like Jews in order to be a part of God's community. But then on the other side, they've got the pressure of the Greco-Roman society where it is just full-on hedonism. You know, live your best life now. There's all these gods that are associated with um, all sorts of passions and desires, and it's like, yeah, go for it all. And those are pulling at them as well. And for probably multiple people in that church, that's their old style of living, whether that was that Orthodox Judaism or whether it was living the Roman life and living in that way. And aren't we also under pressures as well, every day, within our own hearts? It's tempting, pulling us, trying to keep us not unified, not living as a family. And so the whole point today is to look at how we live as a resurrected family bearing the name of Jesus. And as a resurrected family, We keep dying to our old ways of living, and we keep putting on Jesus. So let's start with Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Sorry, Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We have been reconstituted. In our old life, when we were pursuing things other than Jesus, it was like a hammer was brought to a plate. Instead of bearing the image of Jesus, meaning that we were doing the things that he's supposed to do or that we are being like he is and reflecting him, in our brokenness, in our sin, it's like someone brought a hammer to the the image of Christ, like a hammer to a mirror, and we're all broken But then what does Jesus do in the gospel? He brings us back together. He takes what was dead and raises it to life. See, the gospel fundamentally changes us. It gives us new desires, and it gives us a new life. But it's not just for ourselves individually. It's not just us who is being changed, but we're being brought into a family, and we 
are being changed together. We are a resurrected community. We are a resurrected family. The Encyclopedia Britannica defines family as this, a group of persons united by the ties of marriage, blood, or adoption. And I was pulled this one out of um, a Radiant Basics teaching we did a number of years ago. It says this, Fairbanks culture needs a redeemed picture of a healthy family. They need to be invited in to experience what family looks like the way God designed it. Because of our resurrection, because of what Christ did within us, our highest bonds to others is in Christ. Our highest bonds, our highest relationships with one another is in Christ. It's within the church. So, as we look at what Paul is saying in these first four verses, if we are this resurrected community, there's a couple of things that are going to come out of Jesus reconstituting us, making us a new people, being his body. And that starts off with, first of all, seeking the things above. Consider the term for a minute, seeking, and what that means. Someone who is seeking has purpose. They have a goal. They have a vision. What are you pursuing in your life right now? Well, together as a people, we have a purpose, and that is seeking Jesus together. We seek to imitate his actions. We seek to imitate his character as we journey through this world together. And we're not seeking, and I, and I want to make this clear for anyone who's like under 20 right now. If you thought of heaven, if you thought of heaven and you imagine like this bright, fluffy clouds where you're sitting up there and like playing a harp or something like that, that is not heaven. When we're seeking Jesus, it tells us in this passage, Jesus is sitting uh, with God. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. When Christ appears, what does that mean? Jesus is on his way here. He is going to remake this earth. He's going to remake the heavens. And what is that place? It's being in the full presence of God. And we're anticipating that right now. We are beginning to live that new way right now, living for his kingdom. And we're doing this together. So just to remind you, in, in that first sermon that we walked through, we looked at these images, and they defined who we are and as our purpose from Genesis, and it goes all the way through the New Testament. That Jesus, the church is Jesus' temple, reflecting his presence to minister to a world that has been separated by sin. The church is Jesus' kingdom, fighting against the kingdom of darkness in our world, rescuing those who are still trapped in darkness. The church is Jesus' body displaying his radical love to those who desperately need us. This is what it looks like to seek the things that are above. We have a purpose. We've been given a mission, and we do it together. But then we're also given in this first set of verses that we're, as a resurrected family, setting our minds on things above. There's an intentionality behind this, behind more than just the purpose God has given us as a church, but that we are taking hold of our mind and focusing it on Jesus. So if you look at Romans 12, verse 2, it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, pray, what is commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer. He starts off, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your, your kingdom come, your will be done. When we have an intentionality, setting our things on the mind, on the things that are above, we are concerned with what God's will is for our life, but not just for our life person, personally. We're also concerned for God's will for our family, our resurrected family, our church family. And it's because of the gospel that we are a resurrected family. Last week, we asked that question, why the gospel? We looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and the gospel is what ties us together as a family. It's what knits us together. And so as we look at this beautiful description in verse 3 through 4, where it says, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. It's a reminder of what kind of a resurrected community we are. We're a, a baptized community. That's why we do baptism. When someone gets baptized, put underneath the water, we are acknowledging that we are united with Christ in his death, that he died for our sins on our behalf. We should have been on that cross, but instead he took our place. But we're also united with him in the resurrection, that he rose and came out of that grave. And we're anticipating his return. So we live resurrected. We live a baptized life together. So what does a resurrected family do? You see, Paul is reminding this church, hey, this is who you are. You have been saved by the gospel. You live a new life. You are resurrected. And you're at war right now. A resurrected family keeps dying to our old way of living. Let's go to verse 5, chapter 3 of Colossians. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. The tense behind the phrase in verse five, it says, put to death. But if you look in a couple of other versions of this passage, it makes it into something that is active. It's indicating something that is active. So another way you could phrase it is keep putting things to death. And even as Chuck was reading the scripture up here, I remember having gone over passages like this in scripture and kind of this like weight and kind of putting your head down of like, oh man, yeah, there's these things I'm battling and I, I wish I could be doing better. But when you think of it in this way, it, it very much is similar to like being in a battle. When you face those things, go to war with it. Take the sword of the spirit, which is God's word, his truths, his promises, and go to battle. Don't be overwhelmed by the fact that you're struggling. Trust in your savior and go to war and keep putting to death the old way of living. And we have two lists 
that we see here. Two lists of things we're fighting against. The first list, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And then a little further down, we have a second list. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, and not lying to one another. What's interesting about these two lists and why it's important to note is the first one has everything to do with your heart and what's inside of you, and that then influences the second list where it becomes to come out of you in action. There is a commentary uh, from preaching the word on Colossians, and I liked how they condensed uh, these two lists, and it combines them. So it looks at sensuality, which covers sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, evil attitudes, anger, rage, and malice, evil speech, slander, filthy language, and deception. Do not lie to each other. And what we see when we look at these two lists is they actually match up with, uh, that go counter to the two things we just read in, in verses one through four where Paul's saying, seek things that are above and then set your minds on things that are above. These push us in the opposite direction. So think about seeking and what that means, that you have a goal, a purpose, something that's driving your life. Well, when you give your life over to passion, when you give your life over to wrong desires, those become what you're seeking. These are great. Passions aren't wrong. Desires aren't wrong. They are amazing things when they're used to worship God on his terms. But when passion and desires are out of control, they lead us to worship other things. And the ancient world can seem so foreign to us. They worshiped all these different gods. They had all these temples that were erected across multiple cities and countries but when you look at what a lot of those gods stood for, they're the same gods that many of us struggle in worshiping today. Gods of sexual desire, gods of evil attitudes or of evil speech or deceptions, that those things were glorified within that ancient community and they are being glorified today. And just like this Colossian church, they are trying to pull us apart as a community, pull us back into our old way of living, and we have to recognize that and claim Christ, claim his name as we go to battle against them. So what are you passionate about? Like on your own, when you're alone by yourself, what are the things that are occupying your mind that you are longing for, that, they, that you are hoping for? Is it Jesus or is it something else? Is it the next high? Is it like adrenaline, sex, drugs, alcohol, food, acceptance? Is it, is it finances? That money becomes the dominating factor of your life? Whether it's trying to become independently wealthy or in the opposite direction, maybe it's that you're always struggling week to week and it feels like finances are this chain around your neck. Is it becoming dominant in your workplace? Status, hoping that you will be at the top within your job and what you're doing, or maybe within relationships. Living for whatever makes you happy. Rome lived for pleasure and it destroyed them. And we're at that time within our American society as, as well. I mean, this is the, the good news that's preached from America is be yourself, 
Find what's going to make you happy. Be whatever you feel like you should be and don't take any backlash from anyone. Eve misplaced her passions when she ate of the forbidden fruit, hoping to be like God, believing a lie from Satan rather than the truth. Adam misplaced his passions in the garden when he stood by her side and let her do it. In James 4, 1 through 4, it says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? And, it, and again, in James, this is a leader within the church being honest, being direct with people that he loves because he doesn't want to see their resurrected community torn apart and destroyed. And what we see in, in Colossians, when we see this first list, it, it says in verse 7, in these two you once walked, when you were living in them. You once walked. And before that, in verse 6, it says, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. You see, we, if you want to move away from a place where maybe your desires and passions are wrong, they're leading you in a wrong direction, the best thing you can do is go to God with the fear of God. It says, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And what I mean by that is not fear of God in a way that we have to like be in horror of who God is, but rather, and I love this, this, is what the ESV study Bible says, is fear is a response to a manifestation of God's presence, involves both reverent awe and a healthy fear of God's displeasure and discipline. Often what we fear is the center of our life. God is the center of our life and our greatest relationship when we fear him properly. When we fear God, our passions and our desires will be properly aligned. It is not a horror fear, but a holy fear. It's, it is times when we see our sin and displeasure and what it does to God because we're in relationship with him. So it's not about some cosmic bully out there. Rather, it is about a God who's passionately in love with us so much so that he would send Jesus Christ in our place. And when we see the devastation on the cross, we come humbly before God and realize, I should have been there, but Christ was there instead. And that because of his resurrection, we can come to a healthy place of being in awe of who God is. And in a healthy relationship, we fear displeasuring him. We don't want to go against God. So recognizing that as followers of Jesus, first of all, that we are confident in what he's doing in our life. That was our old style of life, but we remember these are the things that God hates, and we want to be at war against it, not letting those things drive our life. So then the second list, it goes against setting our minds on the things of Christ. Our sensuality and uncontained pleasures will lead us to be at odds with one another. 
Instead of being united in setting our minds on Christ, our minds will be against one another. As we're seeking different passions, as we're seeking different things, instead of being like-minded together in seeking Christ, we'll constantly be going against each other. Instead of being for one another, it'll let the attitudes and speech disrupt our unity. So if we look at this, in Colossians 3, 9 and 10, it sums up all of this. It says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. When we live our old life, when, when those two lists that we just read corrupt us and pull us away from Christ, it's like going back to a lie. It's going back to our old self. You see, when we're living a life apart from Christ, and maybe that's some of you who are here today, maybe you don't believe in Christ as your Savior, but I would just posit to you that what it means to be human, if you want to try and figure that out, it's got to start with the Creator, and when we operate in a way that's against him, it's like cutting ourselves off from the life that he's offering. It's like squeezing the tube that gives us air. And so when we live in those things, we live in a lie. That's why like, Paul is intentionally putting this at the end of these lists. It's like, don't lie to one another. Put off these old practices and live in the way and in the intentions that God has made for you. Fight for that. Put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. How do we do that? How do we re be renewed in the knowledge of who Jesus is? Well, I'd encourage you to read through the whole book of Colossians. Start there. And in verse 1, in verse 16 through 17, we get this description. It says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Mike Donaldson, who's one of our elders, he was gathering our youth together, and he's a scientist, and he knows so much more about science things than I do. He's got like a PhD in it, and I barely passed high school. But one thing that I learned with, from him as I was sitting with those kids was this beautiful description from First Colossians chapter 1. And if, if you've ever studied like the atomic molecule, it's crazy that our atoms are being held together. There's opposing forces within those atoms that should cause them to just fly apart and create an explosion. And yet they're being held together. By who? By the creator who holds all things together. But here's the thing. This not only points to creation, but it points to us as a church. What holds us together, family? What holds us together as a resurrected community? It is Jesus Christ. And what happens when we give into our old way of life within the church? It's like the same people who figured out how to split an atom. It causes an explosion within our community. That's the weight that Paul is bringing to bear in here. This is why we have to be active together to put off the old self. We're a resurrected community putting off the old self together. The description in Colossians 3 is so beautiful where it describes its unity of people from all different backgrounds, different cultures, different skin tones, 
different statuses all coming together because of what Christ has done. But man, that unity, that beautiful unity of Christ bringing us together, Satan wants to see us fly apart like someone splitting an atom. And there's things in our, in our church culture here in Fairbanks that are trying to split us apart. And I'll give you a couple. There are, there are always factors and things that are getting at us. It could be parenting, where it's like public school versus homeschool. It could be our politics, politics, Republican versus Democrat. Let's go Biden versus Trumpism. In our churches, denominations don't work together and, and instead stay isolated. In our identity, our singleness, our attractions, all these things can come against each other. These passions that can overrule what God has called us to be. We have to stop living this way. And here's the thing in Fairbanks. It's not so obvious. Sometimes it is. Sometimes there's conversations that come up where it's pretty obvious that we've got the wrong set of desires going into it and we're butting heads and that's not okay. But because of our independent nature in Fairbanks, Alaska, it's easier just to kind of pull back. And I was reading through uh, for seminary this week a book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And I'd encourage, if you've got time to read, he's a great guy to go to. He was a pastor in Germany before World War II broke out. And he said this about community. He said this, sin of irritability that blossoms so quickly in the community shows again and again how much inordinate ambition and thus how much unbelief still exists in the community. And then later on in the book, he finishes the thought. He says, sensitive, irritable people will always become flatterers and very soon they will come to despise and slander other Christians in their community. We, we have to work against this. It's coming out in the church in so many different ways. It can get exposed where irritability becomes that little crack within the community that can drive us apart. And instead of being passionate about Jesus together, we become passionate about other things and let that push us apart. So the question I have is what do you need to keep putting to death today for the sake of this family. Man, we all need to be aware of this. What are we fighting against together? What is getting in the way of us living as a resurrected family? We're not only putting things off. We're not only looking at the, the battle that's in front of us, but we're also looking at how a resurrected family keeps putting on Jesus. Let's finish the passage. Verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him.
Paul not only starts with, with reminding this church of their resurrected identity, but after he goes through this, this exhortation or this strong encouragement of saying like, hey, you need to be aware of these other things, like put these things off, keep unified, he reminds them, well, put then, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. If your faith is in Jesus Christ, these words are for you right now that he has made you holy because of what he did on the cross. It's not up to you and your works. He's done it for you. You are holy. That you are beloved. I know that's not a word that we use in our society very often, but you are more deeply loved than you know right now. Own it. Soak in it. That's what Paul's trying to lead them in right now. And we talked about this last week. When it comes to the gospel, when we put our faith in Jesus, who he is, what he's done, what he is doing, and what he will do, when we put our faith in the gospel, we are called. He's called us. When you see calling, it's not some mystical term. Almost all the time when it's used in the New Testament, it's that you've been called out of deadness, out of a dead life, and you've been called into resurrection, into a resurrected life. We are holy and beloved, radiant. We are fundamentally changed, and we can live this way. We can live as a resurrected family. It's not just some dream out there, just some far-off goal that we're supposed to do, but we can be united in living this way. Again, referring to the same book by Bonhoeffer, he has this great summary. Christian community is not an ideal we have to realize, but rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. Let me say that again. Christian community is not an ideal we have to realize, but rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. And how do we do that? I love passages like this in the Bible because they're, they're actually some of the most practical and applicable. How do we do it? Put on compassionate hearts. Read through the gospel and see where Jesus had compassion on those who were just the most out of society. We put on compassionate hearts. What if when you start to get irritable or frustrated with your brother or sister in Christ, you pause for a moment, how can I show them compassion? Kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. And then Paul, again, has the great summary. Love above all else is what unifies us. There's a classic set of verses in 1 Corinthians 13 that's often used in weddings. I'm just going to read from a few of them. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. If you didn't know it, that passage was not about marriage. It was about the church. It was the same author, Paul, coming to a church that was jacked up in their love. And I was saying, this is what holds you together as a community. So, what do we do then? We live as a resurrected family. And as we look at the, the last few 
words is when we get this, when we get love and what God has called us to do in love, what happens? Well, you are able to let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Instead of worrying about all the things that the world is worried about, we can be satisfied in Jesus. And then we let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Man, this is my hope for us as a resurrected family here at Radiant, is that the word of Christ isn't just this knowledge. It's not just these facts that you're getting about God, but it's something that dwells in your heart richly, that when you are walking through this life, when you're facing the battles against the passions and desires and the things that are within you that we just talked about, that the word of Christ is in you to a point where that's where your battleground is. That's where you make your stand, is on the promises and the hopes that Jesus gives us within his word. It's not, it's not about knowing, just knowing the word and just knowing the knowledge. It's about having a relationship with the God of the Bible. It's about having a relationship with Jesus. We're also called the sing. This is why gathering at 4 p.m. is on a Sunday when it's going to be dark when we leave. We need to sing. We need to be speaking and resonating with the truths of God in song. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual time and spiritual songs. The, the point of singing, and man, we got a great set today. We got a great, we got some family members who are really talented. And the whole point behind that is it's a whole body experience. We're singing with each other, lifting our voices, united together, thankful because of what God has done. And I encourage you, be thankful for this family. The church and what it represents is under attack more than ever in our country today. And Satan will use that to make you unthankful for the church if we let those irritabilities get within us, it causes us to be unthankful. But the first thing we should be thankful for is what God has done in us and how he's made us a part of his resurrected community. So in this section, I'd ask you, who do you need to put on Christ for? Who do you need to show some of these qualities towards? How are you called to do church on God's terms so we can live as a resurrected family together. You see, it's so easy. I do this all the time where I can point at other people within the church and think, man, if they would just do better, then we could be this family on mission doing things together. Well, you gotta draw the circle around you first. It starts with us as individuals repenting so that we can be united together as a family, as a resurrected family. And so... Verse 17 sums it up. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God our Father through him. As a resurrected family, we bear the name of Jesus. It's what unites us and it's what gives us purpose. So I just want to end on this note. Our hope as we go through this series is we're just genuinely pulling out some tough questions and asking ourselves, why are we the church? Why are we gospel-centered? Why are we a family? Let it encourage you to still be faithful, to keep going, to persevere. Let it draw you to repentance, where you come before Jesus on your knees and acknowledge, man, I've had a screwed up perspective in my own pride. I've thought more about myself than I thought about you, God, or thought about my participation as a family. And also to let it bring you joy. 
Man, when you get what God had for his church, when you get the intentions behind it, it is worth your whole life because we're his temple, we're his body, and we're his family. Let's close in prayer. God in heaven, man, I know I struggle with this. I know we struggle to really get what family means. Uh, it's so easy for it to be a word that just slips off the, the lips. It's something we should do. And it's so easy to get off track. So I just pray, Jesus, lead us through a time where we, we push away that old life. Maybe we got to pick up the sword again. We got to pick up your word. We got to go back to battle. Help us to do it together, that we're not alone, isolated, and surrounded. We got a family, Jesus. So, God, if there, are, I just pray for anyone who's here right now who's just struggling with that old life, who's isolated, um, God, that they would cry for help. They'd know there's a family here ready to jump in and help and serve them. So I pray for those who need the boldness to cry for help that they would do so. I pray for those who are just weary, um, who've been doing a great job living as family. But man, it's been, it's been tough. God, reinvigorate them. And God, where we've kind of put our head down because of just all the attacks of the world that's been coming against us, help us to find joy again. Joy in your family. Joy in the resurrected family that you created, God, that you had in your mind since the beginning of time. We're not here by accident. We're here because of you. We thank you, Jesus. So I just pray in this time, God, that, that what our responses would just be honoring to you. I pray this in your name. Amen.